Amen. Thank you, Jason and Ferris, for leading us this morning. And uh, I got to say, I'm not as brave as Jason. Three young children, and he still chooses to wear a white top. <laughs> You're a brave man. You're a brave man. Well, maybe it's because he's away from his kids for a few moments. He's like, you know what? I'm gonna, I'm gonna wear this. So uh, before I dive in, for, for any visitors, if you're joining us this morning, uh, first time you've been dragged here by a family member or a friend, or uh, you're just here for whatever random reason, uh, you might be wondering, well, how long do I have to sit and listen to this guy for? So normally when I preach, I try and aim for around about 25 minutes. I never get there. Uh, it's normally closer to 35 minutes, but you know, that's kind of the goal. Uh, so if you are going to be starting the stopwatch this morning, don't start yet. I'll let you know when you can start. Okay, deal? Uh, and the reason I'm saying that is because last Sunday, after our morning service, we had our annual general meeting. And I know that many of you, most of you were in fact there. But for the sake of guests and for the sake of those who uh, maybe call White Rock Baptist Church home, but you weren't there because you had more pressing engagements, I don't know what those could be, but you know, we'll give you the benefit of the doubt. Uh, but last Sunday was just an incredible time of being able to celebrate the past year in the life of White Rock Baptist Church. Uh, we had a great time of looking back. Yes, we had the annual report and that was made available. And that had reports from various ministry leaders, various people serving in different uh, kind of areas within the church, just giving a little report back of their environments. And, and it makes for good reading for those of you that haven't actually read it yet. I encourage you, go and read the annual report. But as we gathered together, we also showed a couple of videos just highlighting God at work through the last year. Yes, Life Groups was one of those. And yes, we want to keep encouraging and keep inviting you to make sure you join a Life Group. There are plenty of different small groups in this church community. And we want to invite you to find one, to find encouragement, to find strength in your faith journey. We also celebrated as we looked at what's happening in the children's ministry, in our Sunday school, and acknowledging the growth, not just in terms of children involved, but in terms of volunteers, in terms of people serving and getting involved with young lives. Uh, and as we kind of shared that, there was also an invitation extended, and maybe some of you missed that, but just to remind you, there's always room to serve. Historically, whenever people have said from the, the front here, Sorry, I just had an ADD moment. Uh, and, and you'll let me go there because I have ADD. So I was I, speaking about life groups. I got the pleasure of joining a life group this past Sunday. Uh, not this past Sunday, this past week. And it was such a blessing. I, I, just, I made myself available and I visited a couple of life groups in the last couple of months. And I got to this life group. Uh, and it is full with dear saints who I know love this church and who kind of love me, and who pray for me, and who support, and they were, they were super amazing. Uh, but I realized that, you know, different generations just look at things a little differently, and just talk about things a little differently. So for some of you out there who look up here, and for you, this is a platform, and we're in a sanctuary. For other generations, this is a stage, and we're in an auditorium. And it's just the semantics. Uh, there's no right, there's no wrong, it's just difference. So I hope you don't mind me having a quick ADD moment as I was giving a report back. Uh, because as we were sharing, I know that quite often somebody will stand from the stage and invite you to volunteer in Sunday school. 
And most people, the first thing they think is, oh, they want me to be a Sunday school teacher. That's not the case. Sunday school has multiple areas where you can get involved in. Uh, you don't just have to be a Sunday school teacher. And I know for some of you that, that's too intimidating. That's scary. Trust me, you can help in the, little, in the small groups. You can get on the floor with the kids, coloring in and playing with them. And it is awesome. So make sure if you're not serving somewhere and you want to get involved in young lives, go and talk to Lisa and get involved with Sunday school. Uh, as we shared as well at the AGM last week, we shared some good news along with some bad news. And some of the good news is that we are growing. And that's awesome. And we kind of say, yes, Jesus, that's what we want to do. We want to be a growing church. Um, but along with that comes the challenge of we're running out of parking. And human nature is such that if we can't find a parking, we're not walking. Okay? Unless you paid. Like last night, I took my son and some friends to go watch the white caps get drubbed yet again. We parked like two kilometers away from BC Place just so that I didn't have to pay for parking and walked. No worries. People don't do that with church. People want to park fairly closely. So if this is your church home, if you're a regular here, I would invite you, I would encourage you, uh, maybe make some space and, and find a parking that's within walking distance. Hugh McKinnon have graciously said we can park in their parkings. And this little office block to the side of us over here, we can park in their parking. And I would encourage you, make space. Uh, and, and part of the bad good news as well, the good news was we met our budget last year. No, sorry, I lied. We covered our expenses last year. There's a big difference. Because the good news is we covered our expenses. The bad news is we didn't actually meet our budget. And so while we can say, thank you, Jesus, that we didn't end in debt and we didn't have to go into debt, thank you, God, that we covered our expenses, the reality is we weren't able to do everything in ministry that we as a congregation had agreed upon and said, yes, we want to go out and do that. And so without guilt tripping you, I want to invite you and encourage you to prayerfully consider how can you support the ministry of this church. Uh, and I would invite you to respond as God enables you. Other than that, it was an incredible time together last week. Uh, just an amazing meal. And can we just applaud Diane Rowan and the kitchen helpers for that food? Because that was just so good. Absolutely. Okay, if you've got a stopwatch, you can hit start now. I want to dive into this morning's message by talking about baptism. Now, I realize there's an immediate pun there. I'm a dad. It was intentional. I'll let the penny drop. What is baptism? Jennifer just spoke about it a few moments ago. We're having a baptism service at the end of this month. But what exactly is baptism? Uh, the word baptism comes from the Greek word baptizo. And it literally means to submerge. The moment I take something and I put it fully submerged in water, I've baptized it. That's what baptism is. It is submerging something in water. Uh, baptism is typically a religious act. Most people don't think about it of just, oh, okay, we're submerging something. No, when we talk about baptism, most people think, okay, this is a religious act. It's been practiced through the church and even in other faiths for centuries. 
As people have identified with that faith or identified in that belief and they've said, I want to be identified and so in order to do that, I will be baptized into it. And typically, yes, I'm baptized in water and I'm submerged in water. So what does it symbolize for us here at White Rock Baptist Church? As Christians, as disciples of Jesus, baptism for us shows we identify in Jesus Christ. Our identity is in Christ. When I am baptized, it is my public declaration. Hey world, I am no longer just me, myself, and I. I am me in Christ Jesus. And the scriptures, and Paul speaks about it as well, there's the, the imagery of baptism. You know, I, I know I quite often joke about this, that when you get baptized, the only thing you get is wet. There's no spiritual, uh, sorry, there's no magical connotation. The baptism itself doesn't do anything. The doing has already been done, and the baptism reflects that. And so it symbolizes my death and burial and resurrection in Christ. As I go under the water, it's the symbol. I've died to self and I'm buried in Christ. And as I come up out of the water, I am resurrected in Christ. It is no longer I who live on my own stead. It is no longer all about me. It is now me in Christ Jesus. And of course the question is, well, why would someone get baptized? Why would you have a baptism service? What's the point of all of this? Well, the answer is fairly simple. When we read through the Gospels, Jesus Christ himself was baptized. He, he sets the example. He shows us the way. And not only was Jesus baptized... Jesus instructs his disciples in the Great Commission at the end of Matthew that we, disciples of Christ, need to go and make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. So we, we get baptized out of obedience to Christ, out of that example, out of that instruction. And of course, the following on question from that is, well, then when should I be baptized? Let me stay right up front. You will never be good enough, in inverted commas, to get baptized. Sometimes people will say, well, I believe in Jesus. I've accepted Jesus as my Lord and Savior, but I'm not ready to be baptized because I don't think I'm, I'm good enough. I don't think I meet the standard. I don't think I match up. But the whole point is you never will match up. The work is done for you in Christ. You're simply accepting it by faith and publicly declaring it. So when we read in scriptures and we read in Acts particularly as well, it was immediate. Repent and be baptized. Repent. Change your way. Convert. Accept Christ as Lord and Savior and be baptized. To show the world it is no longer the old you, it is you now in Christ. My friends, we will never have it all together. As Jason just said a moment ago, repentance has been part of his life as it has been part of mine and yours in your Christian journey. So we don't have to meet some sort of standard. Because that's not what baptism is doing. 
It's simply saying to the world, I believe Jesus Christ is my Lord and Savior. And I identify with that and I don't have it all together and I'm going to make a whole bunch of mistakes. But it's okay because I'm in Christ. So as we work towards our baptism service at the end of this month, I would encourage you, if you've never been baptized and you're wrestling with who Christ is and you've come to that point to go, I accept Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. I agree that he came and died on the cross for me. Then my friends, what's stopping you? Don't worry, it'll be fresh water. And it'll be warm water. You can be baptized. Now, why would I start with baptism? Well, quite simple. Last week in Luke chapter 12, as we've been journeying through the book of Luke, Jesus says to the audience, he says to his disciples in Luke 12 verse 50, I have a baptism to undergo. And what constraint I am under until it is completed. Now, of course, that's not Jesus' baptism in water. That's already happened at the beginning of his ministry in the beginning of the Gospels. So what baptism is Jesus talking about in this context? You and I might refer to something being a baptism of fire. And when we talk about somebody's experienced a baptism of fire, we don't literally mean fire. We mean this is an experience that is challenging, it's possibly excruciating, it's, it's a difficult experience for this person to go through, but they have to go through it for a purpose and a reason. And this was Jesus saying to his disciples, saying to the audience, I am here for a purpose. That purpose is a baptism of fire. And I have to go through it. And of course, you and I have the benefit of we've read the story we know what's coming. When Jesus is talking about this baptism to undergo, Jesus is talking about his time on the cross as he goes to be executed, to be crucified, and then to be buried. But just like you and I know the end of the story, Jesus already knew he would be resurrected. And Jesus would go to the cross to pay the penalty of sin and to cover the separation between God and us that sin results in, in order to reconcile us to our Heavenly Father. Jesus Christ would do what we could not do to give us what we could not earn, life eternal, forgiveness, grace, redemption. If you have your Bibles with you, turn with me to Luke chapter 13. I know it'll be up on the screen. So whether you've got your phone or your paper, however you prefer reading the Bible. And we've been journeying through the book of Luke. And as I said last week, Luke chapter 13 verse 1 to 9 is really the second part or the extension of the end of chapter 12 last week. Luke 13 and reading from verse 1. Now there were some present at that time who told Jesus about the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mixed with their sacrifices. Jesus answered, Do you think that these Galileans were worse sinners than all the other Galileans because they suffered this way? I tell you, no. But unless you repent, you too will all perish. Or those 18 who died when the tower in Siloam fell on them, do you think they were more guilty than all the others living in Jerusalem? I tell you, no. 
But unless you repent, you too will all perish. And then he told this parable. A man had a fig tree growing in his vineyard, and he went to look for fruit on it, but did not find any. So he said to the man who took care of the vineyard, for three years now I've been coming to look for fruit on this fig tree and haven't found any. Cut it down. Why should it use up all the soil? Sir, the man replied, leave it alone for one more year. I will dig around it and fertilize it. If it bears fruit next year, fine. If not, then cut it down. You know, when, I, when we read those verses, the focus is plainly obvious. The focus of this passage, the focus of Jesus' teaching in these nine verses is simply and only repent. Now, I, I'm kinda, I feel constrained to stop at repent, but that's not where Jesus stops. Jesus says, repent or die. And like I said last week, how do we make sense of those passages where Jesus seems to be pretty harsh and pretty direct and he criticizes or he condemns or he, he says things that, that make us uncomfortable? And that's the focus of this passage. Jesus calls for repentance. But in the midst of this focus, there's a caution. And the caution is simply don't judge, don't compare with others, don't judge others. Focus on yourself. And then, of course, as Jesus always masterfully does, he gives an illustration. He gives a story of a man with a, a fig tree. So let's consider this focus for a few moments. This is not a message the world wants to hear. This is not a message that people line up to hear or to come and listen to. This focus of repent. The world around says, no, if it feels good, do it. The world around says, I will be the captain of my own destiny. And if I want to do something, as long as it doesn't hurt somebody else, then who are you to condemn me? Who are you to judge me? You know, when we read this passage of scripture, we almost have in mind that caricature of somebody on a soapbox, you know, a soapbox preacher on the corner in the street shouting at everyone coming past, repent! You're going to hell. We're kind of like, whoa, dude, back off. Yet this is what comes to mind. We might go, hey, God is a God of love. And indeed, he is. Some of us might even erroneously believe, well, because God is a God of love, he will just let me be. And he'll take care of the rest. Albert Mola says, human beings do not want to think that they are one step from death or one instant from eternal judgment. And this is what the message of repent calls to mind. Now, I, I don't mean to be morbid, but last week in our AGM, we said goodbye again to just shy of 20 people who've passed away in this last year from our church. And while the staff, the pastoral team were meeting during this past week, just kind of chatting through and unloading and debriefing, uh, somebody brought up the, the comment or the thought, that means there was a Sunday when they were in church and it was their last Sunday with us. And you know what's really depressing? 
They probably didn't know it, and neither did we. We don't like to think that this could be our final breath. We don't like to think that this could be our final day. Yet every day we're reminded of our own mortality. That we could be one step, one instant, one breath away from eternity. And this could be your last service with us today. Today, heaven forbid, but today you may take your last breath. That wasn't on purpose, by the way. You may well take your last breath. Are you ready to step in to eternity? And Jesus says, as painful as it might sound, there is a way to prepare, and it is to repent. Now, what is repentance? Repentance is literally a change of mind. It's not about my own individual plans anymore, or my own intentions, or my own beliefs. It is a change of mind in relation to God. Repentance, which is accompanied by saving faith, is when I finally realize it's no longer about the little things I do. It's about the trajectory of my life. I have been journeying away from God because I've been God in my own life. And so I'm heading this way. And I come to a point where I realize, hold on, I cannot save myself. I cannot redeem myself. I cannot do or earn my salvation. Only God can do that. And so repentance is a physical turning. I turn away from myself. I will be God to saying, God, you are God and I will follow you. And my life's trajectory will now be towards you. The word repentance is, of course, naturally linked to the word sin. And what I mean by that is that sin is not merely doing a bunch of wrong things. Yes, that is part of sin. If I talk about sin, if I talk about sinning, if I talk about sinners or sinfulness, yes, included are those things that you're coming, drawing into your mind. Yes, it's visiting those websites. Yes, it's talking about those people in that way. Yes, it's consuming these products. Yes, it's going down that route. Yes, it's being involved there. Those are all little sinful things. But sin, in relation to repentance, sin literally just means to miss the mark. Uh, The word for sin might be a word that would be used in archery, as an arrow aims for its target. Sin is to miss the mark. And so in my life, when I talk about sin, it's that I miss the mark of what God invites me into. And so when God gives me his ideals and his plans in the word of scripture of how I should live my life, when I choose not to do that, I'm missing the mark. And therefore, I sin. And so repentance is to turn and to say, I will go And aim for God's mark and God's ideal, enabled by the Holy Spirit to do that. When you and I partake in sinful activity, yes, in effect, we are missing the mark in relation to the life that God invites us into. And so repentance means to turn toward. And Jesus begins his ministry in the Gospels by saying, repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. 
John the Baptist preaches repentance. All the apostles continue that approach by preaching a message of repentance and faith in Jesus Christ. And therefore, repentance is the response we make in relation to the grace of God. It's the natural response for the invitation of life that God offers to us. I will repent by turning to God for life and for salvation. But just as I said, that was the focus, this idea of repentance. So too, there's a caution in this passage. In the opening verses, from verse 1 to 5, some in the crowd kind of go, well, you know, there were those when uh, Herod mixed the blood, sorry, Pilate mixed the blood in the sacrifices, and some people died, or there was the tower that fell in Siloam, and more people died. They must have been sinners. They must have been worse than everyone else. And Jesus goes, uh, no, no, you, you've got some faulty thinking here. Don't think simply because somebody died in a particular way or somebody did something, they're a worse sinner. You repent. And so Jesus cautions us. He cautions us not to make judgment calls. You see, you and I like to judge others. It gives us a a nice, neat, easy answer or it helps us make an excuse for not getting involved in people's lives. We might not use the words, but we sometimes have this crowd's mindset. The crowd said, well, they died horrible deaths because they were sinners. They judged the victims to have been cursed by God. You know, I was blown away that this still happens in the world around us today. I saw the cover of a Christian magazine recently that spoke about some natural disasters in the world and, and saying how these were God's judgment on the sin of those people. And it blew me away that we live in a world where people think that. And of course it's understandable that people would think that because the Old Testament leads into that. And so if I base my theology and my doctrine on an Old Testament narrative, then yes, God judges. But when I read through the New Testament and I balance it out, I realize that the whole earth, even the physical creation around us, is subject to the fall. And so there, is this, there are bad things that happen to good people, just like there are good things that happen to bad people. It's part of the fallen nature of the world. And so for us to step in and say, well, that happened because it's God's judgment... Well, then again, we're playing God. When we look at somebody and say, that dread disease they've picked up must be because they're a sinner. What? No. It's the nature of the fallen world that we're in. It is not. And Jesus is saying, don't dare judge. Don't dare condemn others. You respond. Don't compare with others. Isn't it interesting how when you and I, maybe it's just me, But I think you think like me sometimes. You and I, we can excuse our behavior. We might drive along 16th coming to church. And we'll pull up behind a car and go, why is this car going so slow? I've got somewhere to be. They're just holding everyone back. Come on, move up, catch up. And then we'll overtake that car. And then somebody will come flying past us. It's the preacher who's running late for church. And we'll go, look at this guy. He's going to get everyone killed. But we never once stop to think about ourselves in the midst of that. 
We compare and we're always innocent. We're always doing well. Others are sinning. Others sin differently to us and therefore they must be called to account. Jesus says, don't dare do that. Don't compare. Don't compare with others. You will always come off best. And therefore you will always be proud and therefore guilty of sin. And so Jesus gives this simple illustration. Don't dare play God or condemn others. You yourself need to repent. You yourself need to relate to your heavenly father. And when I talk about comparison and judgment, I think the rest of Jesus' words kind of would remind us. You see, if I judge or if I condemn, it's easy to keep you at an arm's length and not get involved in your life and the mess that that might entail. Jesus says, no. Don't judge and condemn. Rather, come alongside. And the Apostle Paul echoes that. With carry one another's burdens, encourage one another, walk with one another, help one another. And then Jesus closes off this passage of scripture this morning with this illustration, this picture. And, and I think as I look at this picture, for me it echoes John the Baptist's words. As John is at the River Jordan preaching repentance and baptism and he's baptizing the crowds who come along. Just before Jesus comes along. And the Pharisees and the scribes, they come out because they're interested in what's going on. And they're looking and they're judging and they're condemning. And John the Baptist responds to those scribes. And he says, you brood of vipers, who warned you? And he goes on to say, bear fruit in keeping with repentance. And Jesus is now echoing that. Bear fruit in keeping with repentance. And he gives this picture of a fig tree that by year three should have fruit in it. And there's no fruit. So the tree needs to be cut down. And the, the gardener, the man who tends to the tree says, hold on, let's be patient here. Let me do some work with this true tree. Sorry. Let me, let me prune it. Let me add some manure. And for those of you who like to think philosophically or kind of think of the pictures there, Yes, a tree needs to be pruned and it needs to receive some manure and, and food and nutrients in order to produce fruit. Pruning and manure is painful and smelly. And Jesus says, our lives will go through painful and smelly times. Jason spoke about it. We sang a song about that. God is at work in our lives, doing things that sometimes we don't understand in the midst of it. But God assures us if we would have faith in him, what he is doing is not pointless. It is for a purpose. It is for glory. It is for something incredible. And we need to learn to trust him in the midst of that. Why? Because our lives are supposed to bear fruit. If you and I are in Christ, our lives are supposed to reflect fruit. People should see. Yes, occasionally we would need to use words and we need to explain Christ. But people should see us and engage with us. And it should not catch them by surprise that we are Christian. Because there's fruit in our lives. The fruit of serving 
The fruit of prayer and worship, the fruit of spending time in God's word, the the fruit of meditating on God, the fruit of forgiving others, the fruit of encouraging others, the fruit of being generous with our possessions and wealth, of being stewards, Uh, the fruit of the spirit that Paul talks about in Galatians, of love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, and the rest. The call is not to be perfect. You and I will never be perfect. You and I will make mistakes every single day. That's God's business. God will perfect us one day in glory, and I long for that day, and I cannot wait to be perfected. Not in a rush to get there, but I cannot wait. But until such time, there should be fruit growing. There should be evidence. Now and again, there's going to be a bruise. Now and again, there's going to be something going wrong. I need to come back to God in repentance. And you say, Jesus, forgive me. It's not all about me. It's about you. Let me walk again in light of your grace, in light of your mercy. You know what I love about this story as well? My friends, it is not too late to produce fruit. Like I said two or three weeks ago, if you're not dead, you're not done. If you're not dead, God's still working on you. There is still room for fruit to grow in your life. Don't for a moment allow Satan to come along and rob you and go, oh no, you've made too many mistakes. You've messed up one too many times. Look at this whole life behind you. That's not what God does. God goes, my grace is sufficient to cover all of that. And if you're ready to step towards me, if you're ready to repent and turn to me, I will make something new and I will make something beautiful, even if the remainder of your life is a day. Whatever is left, God will produce fruit for those who walk in repentance in him. I don't know where you are in your journey with God. I don't know where you are this morning. But I would echo Jesus' invitation, as harsh as it might sound, as direct as it might sound. Brothers and sisters, friends, repent. Turn to Jesus. Make him Lord. And discover life that he gives. Let's pray together. Jesus, just as we acknowledged last week in that closing portion of Luke chapter 12, we wrestle, we grapple with when you are direct, when you criticize or, or when you say something that, that maybe we don't like. But Jesus, we understand that sometimes you speak directly because we need to hear that. God, for many of us, life may well have been all about ourselves. Our pursuit, our pleasure, our comfort, our accumulation, our wealth. And so we've spent decades building up our own empire. And God, by grace and by your Holy Spirit, we're starting to realize this is a fruitless waste. For it will not last And it will not save us. And it will not reconcile us to our Heavenly Father. A Heavenly Father who loves us. Who loves us so much. That he was prepared to take care of the sin that separates us. 
And in a way that we wrestle with, in a way that sometimes we just don't understand. But a perfect and final way. Our Savior, who gave his life for us. And so God, I pray that right now by your Holy Spirit, you would be calling men and women back to yourself. So those who perhaps have never repented, God, I pray that this morning they would respond. So those of us who have previously, but yet started heading back in our own journey, or our own goals, our own purposes, God, I pray you would invite us back in and help us by your spirit to once again walk in repentance in you and to receive life from you. So that as we go out, as we go into a world that around us has darkness and pain and turmoil, waiting, crying out for perfection, crying out for glory, crying out for eternity with you. God, help us to share that message of grace so that others would turn to you. For we ask this in your name, Jesus, and for your kingdom's sake. And together we pray and say, Amen.